0: Father, we have your Word open before us because, one, you have told us to do so, and two, in it we find the words of life. In it we find words of comfort, instruction for how we can have peace. We find in it directions not just for life, but for how to see Jesus. Father, this morning we, as a congregation, find ourselves in a very unique situation, one that many of us have not experienced, and we come with anxieties, and we perhaps have fears, we perhaps have open wounds, Maybe we're here today with dashed expectations. We're here with hurts. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would minister to those hurts. that as we look into this passage, that we would have our eyes drawn to helpful places, that we would have our eyes drawn from our hurts, from our fears, from our anxieties, and to Christ. Help us to look to Jesus. Help us to see Him even today, to see what He has done for us and to see the hope that we have in Him. I pray that you administer that, not, not just to our minds. We... We need to see that. We need to understand that. I pray that you administer those truths to our hearts as well to give us comfort, to give us hope, to give us understanding of how to move forward in our lives individually and for us as a congregation corporately. So we come humbly and needy today and ask that you administer to us by your Spirit Presenting Your Son to us from Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter is ministering in a different context than ours, and he's dealing with different topics, uh, perhaps, than the ones that are on our minds. He's writing to a uh, people who are suffering and have been undergoing persecution. And they're experiencing pain, and their pain is caused by a slightly different Source, but it's pain nonetheless, and I think we can relate to that. Pain is an interesting thing. Pain puts us in a place in our minds where we can very easily get overwhelmed. Where I could have a hangnail on my pinky, and it becomes all I think about. And it's a pinky. You know, it's relatively important, but I could go on. I didn't have my pinky, but when it's in pain, it it takes my focus. It focuses me right in on that thing and other things. I don't have time to think about any other thing because I've got this pain. And when I have that pain, when we have pain, we begin to look for a way out of it. Searching for a way out of the pain. How can I take this away? And praise God, we live in a day where you can, you know, take, a, take an aspirin <laughs> to take care, care of pain. There's, there's a famous historical... A church figure who it was said he had a headache for 27 years. I, if I make it 27 minutes with a headache uh, without taking an ibuprofen or something, that's unusual. Pain can cause us to search for a way out of that, right? When we're in pain, when we're in emotional pain, it causes us to worry about that thing, to think and focus on that thing. And when I'm in pain, I can be tempted to get angry to lash out, to find a way to, to get out of this pain, to cause it to stop. And I, when I recognize what I think is the source of the pain, I can lash out at that thing, trying to destroy that thing, trying to get that thing out of the way or get that person to stop doing that thing, I will lash out. I'm tempted to do that, to get rid of that pain. Pain causes you to feel alone, doesn't it? When you're going through pain and your focus is zeroed right in on that pain, I, I, kind of, I kind of begin to feel like I'm the only one going through pain. I'm the only one who knows about this. I'm the only one who, who can relate to this. That, that other people out there, yeah, maybe they've experienced something similar, but this is, this is unique. I'm the only one. It makes me feel very alone. And when we're going through that pain feels like it will never end. I've watched my wife deliver six children. Give birth right there to six children and I've learned lessons as I watch from <laughs> and haven't gone through it myself about pain and about focus and about hope and about hopelessness. Pain does a lot of things to our minds tempts us in certain ways, causes us to zero in on certain things. Well, again, the pain that Peter is talking about here is is different than the pain that we're experiencing, but we can certainly get hope for our situation from the words that the Holy Spirit inspired through the Apostle Peter. And so we want to work through our passage briefly today in preparation for the Lord's Supper. We want to look at how we can face hurt, so we look there at verse 6, and we see, first of all, we are to stay humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore. He says, therefore, because in the verse before, he, on a, on a related but slightly different topic, had been quoting from the Old Testament that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Now that's simple instruction. Like much of the Bible is simple instruction. The hard part, of course, is putting it into action. The hard part, of course, is making it true of ourselves that it's simple enough language. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. But it's difficult to do, isn't it? I mean, we live our lives solving our own problems. We live our lives in charge if something's going to get done, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to take care of myself. I don't expect someone else to do that for me. And so I'm the one who gets it done. I'm the one who accomplishes the thing. It's not that I think I'm the greatest thing in the world necessarily, but I'm the one who's got to solve this problem. And he, in this situation, is encouraging us to humble ourselves. Why? Well, first of all, we could say, where under the mighty hand of God which means that we understand ourselves in relation to what God is really like and who God really is. Who, who am I in this contrast with God that He has a mighty hand? What about me? I mean, I think I can get stuff done and, and I know my strengths and my limitations and, and I kind of navigate life accordingly. What he's challenging us to do here is to realize in contrast to what God is like, what He can accomplish, in contrast to His mighty hand, His wisdom, His power, His ability, I ought to humble myself under that meaning. I ought to realize about myself that I am about that big. And my abilities are about that powerful. And my wisdom is about like that. That under God Himself, in contrast to God Himself, I need to realize there is one who is in charge, and it's God. There is one who has the ability. There is one who has the wisdom. There is one who knows what he is doing and is good, and it is not me. And so I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. But look what happens. It's not just bare instruction. It's not just bare command, though it could be, but he, He tells us here why. So that at the proper time, He may exalt you. At the proper time, He will exalt you. When I'm in a difficult situation, when I'm in a hurting situation, I need to learn to resist the urge, to claw my way out of it at all costs. But instead, to humble myself before God under His mighty hand, knowing that He will exalt me in the proper time. My lashing out isn't going to resolve this. God is going to resolve this. He's the one who will raise me up in the proper time. And so I need not to panic when I'm in that moment and, and, and think I've got to find a way out. My, my children all know that it's extremely dangerous to tickle my feet. I'm extremely ticklish. I have no idea why, but I am. And my children learn pretty early in life not to tickle dad's feet because my reaction, my instinctual reaction is to kick. And so my poor little two-year-old who's, you know, tickling my feet, I don't want to kick them, but that's, that's kind of what it's like when we're in pain. We just react and do this thing not realizing we kick the two-year-old. Not realizing that we lash out and are seeking to raise ourselves up in some way, seeking to clamor our way out of that situation in some way, but he says, instead we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, and don't we want it to be instantly? I don't like that proper time idea. I like it better when it's on my time. So that being lifted up, being taken out of this problem can be on my time. I want to be in charge of that, but instead he says, no, humble yourselves before God and at the proper time, in due time, when He knows it is time, He will raise you up. Now there's instruction for someone who's under the pressure, someone who's feeling that pain Humble yourself and let God raise you up. But he continues in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I could ask for a show of hands and probably most hands would go up for who is carrying anxiety right now. Who is worrying? Though as Christians we know you're not supposed to worry so we open a thesaurus and we find alternative words, synonyms for worry, right? Because that stuff is all fine. But how many of us carry anxieties? How many of us are worried? How many of us are anxious about this situation? How many of us are bearing those things ourselves? I know that for me, going through difficult times, and, and I could certainly, certainly count uh, this last period of time among that, I... I have a tendency, and this is a confession. This This is a confession. I have a tendency to allow those anxieties to pile up, and I carry them around, and I think people can see me carrying them around. He says instead that we are to do something different. We are to cast all our anxieties on Him. You know, you think when you were a child, and you thought, About your dad and how strong your dad was. I remember trying to carry five gallon buckets full of water. And I could carry one and it took both arms and I'd slosh it all over my legs because that's all I had, and my dad would grab two of them and walk off and not spill a drop because he was strong. Because he can carry the burden. We're not made as a as a five year old to carry that burden. And we as humans are not made to carry the burdens of anxiety, of worry, of, of concern like this. Instead, we are to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. This reminds me of Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. where Paul says, "Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. Peter says, casting all of our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. He wants to carry that burden. He wants us to cast those upon Him. And by the way, that's a part of us staying humble when we're admitting, I can't carry this. I can't handle this. And the Father says, well, I'd ha- be happy to carry that for you. Can I carry that for you? Let me carry that. So we are to stay humble. That will help us when we are facing hurt secondly we are to stay vigilant verse verse 8 be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour why is he talking about the devil at this point why is he giving us instruction about the, the, the our adversary prowling around looking for somebody to eat why is this found here it's because when we're in that moment of pain, when we're in that situation where the pressure is on, maybe like the situation that they're facing, it's not just relational pain or something like that. It's persecution of the church and perhaps threat to property, threat to life, and things like that. But when you're in that time of pain and you're in that time of pressure, you are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Why at this point is it Peter said, look out, you're in danger. It's because we're vulnerable to temptation when we're under that kind of pain, under that kind of pressure. When we're struggling like that, we might be perhaps tempted to despair. There's just no way forward. How can this ever be dealt with? Maybe, maybe we're, t- we're tempted to bitterness. We're, we're looking to find somebody Who's, the, who's at fault that we can pin it on and it's that guy's fault. Maybe we're looking, we're tempted to gossip, right? I've got, I've got some juicy stuff. Do you have some juicy stuff? Because I bet we could swap. <laughs> we're tempted to talk about things and, and maybe there's a little bit of truth in there, maybe there's not. Uh, there, there's some, some things that are not true in there, but it's not ultimately helpful. It's not ultimately solving the problem. It's just... It's just wallowing in it a little bit. I'm tempted to gossip perhaps under that kind of strain or perhaps I'm tempted to slander. I'm really looking for somebody to blame and it really doesn't even matter if it's that guy's fault, if it's that lady's fault. I'm, I'm just lashing out. I'm tempted in that moment in a, in a way that in the, in, the, in the peace of life when, when everything is going great, you'd never be tempted to talk bad about somebody. True or not true, you, you, you wouldn't be tempted to say bad things about a person. Apply the pressure, and all of a sudden that temptation increases. And you become tempted to, to maybe say some things. Maybe, maybe they're true, or maybe they're not you're tempted with that. Or maybe, maybe it's not so much what you say, maybe you're tempted by what you hear. That when you're under that pressure... You're not. You're not looking to blame someone. You're not trying to find someone who is at fault, but you become suspicious of kind of everything. And what what's going on here? And 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 why did he Why did he say that? Why didn't he say this? And and, and why did she look at me that way? And maybe why, we're, we're tempted to suspicion. That's a temptation. Maybe maybe we're tempted with unforgiveness that I've received wrongs. And I'm just going to hold on to those. I mean, after all, uh, in this kind of pain and this kind of pressure, I kind of have the right, don't I? We have a lot of temptations. We need to look out. We need to be aware. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful that we are being hunted by our enemy, particularly in that time of pain. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Why did Paul say that? because they had anger and wrath and bitterness and clamor and slander. I've not not heard any of that and I'm not speaking to any particular person or situation or anything at all like that. What I'm saying is we are under that pressure and we feel that hurt and that temptation. If it hasn't shown itself, we'll do so. But listen to Paul's words. He says, let all, let all that stuff pass away, be put away from you. Be kind to one another, verse 32, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Christian, you get to be called Christian because God in Christ forgave you. I get to bear the name of Christ be considered a child of God because I have been forgiven in Christ. How dare I? How could I possibly contemplate holding a tiny debt, a tiny bitterness against you? So he says, look out. You are in danger. You are being hunted. Temptation, if it has not already come, in these forms or others will come when you're under that kind of test. And so be sober-minded. Be watchful look out you're in danger but look at look at verse 9 resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world we are not alone you are not alone going through hurt going through trial going through uncertainty facing these sorts of things. It feels like you're alone. It feels like we are alone. But you are not alone. And we are not alone. We have Christians all around us that have seen God be faithful in trying times. Have seen God be faithful through shakeups in a church context. Have seen God be faithful through Awful situations. And we, we said it last Wednesday and we said it the Wednesday before that this situation is incredibly painful and heavy for each of the four of us, but not, not awful in the sense of explosions, bitterness, wrath, harsh language, accusations, suspicions. God has been merciful. And even in situations like that, where there have been those kinds of interpersonal conflicts and and all that goes with that, God has been faithful even in that situation, and that is not our situation. So he says we are to be vigilant. We are to watch out for the attacks of the enemy and, and be aware that God has shown himself faithful and strong to others who have gone through difficult situations as well, and we can take strength, take confidence, and take hope from God and His work in those other situations. So we are to stay humble. We are to stay vigilant. And thirdly, we are to stay confident. Look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, we suffer for a time, but then comes victory. We suffer now, but then comes victory. And he says, after you've suffered a little while. Isn't it amazing every time we see God's understanding of time and his his understanding contrasted with our understanding how, in his mind, it's a little time. In light of eternity, it's a little time. We looked, at, we looked in Genesis and we saw that, that uh, you know, Isaac prayed for Rebekah because she, she had been barren and, and, and God heard his prayer and she conceived. We read that in one sentence. We read that in one verse. And in other places, we see that that was 20 years in that one verse. and He says here, after you've suffered a little while. What's a little while, according to God's time? Well, it might be a week. Sometimes you suffer for a week. Sometimes you might might have a a trial, a difficulty that lasts that amount of time. Maybe maybe you suffer for ten years we've been praying for folks in the congregation who've had health issues for longer than that major life altering health issues maybe 10 years and and peter says it's a little time maybe maybe you've suffered with one thing or another for 80 years i mean surely that breaks into the category of long time suffering and from our perspective it absolutely does but when you think in light of eternity, that 80 years of suffering is, is a moment, a brief suffering. I don't in any way mean to belittle suffering, the suffering that you uh, are going through, the, the, the suffering related to this situation and, and others in life. I, by, by no means do I mean to belittle that, but but I, I, wanted, I want to draw our attention to what Peter does here for just a moment, that he recognizes that, that even if we were to enter into a time of, of persecution in our nation, where our lives are at risk for the rest of our lives, that would be a moment, a suffering for a brief time, that from our Father's perspective, knowing the situation we're in, knowing what eternity is like and knowing what he is doing he would encourage us that that is a brief suffering this pain that we go through this relational difficulty, these shakeups, these alterations to our expectations these things that we're struggling with in our own minds and trying to resolve, wrap our minds around uh, what what has happened what is happening and what will happen here at Parkside I'll tell you, from the elders' perspective, it's consumed our thinking. And Peter would say, that was a brief time. That's a brief time in light of eternity. He says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What has He called us to? Where is this all leading for the Christian? Where's where's the ultimate destination? What, What have we been called to? What have we been promised ultimately? Eternal glory in Christ. The very big picture for the Christian The the broadest picture for the Christian points out that we have been called to His eternal glory in Christ. That's where we're headed. That's the final destination. That's that's where things are moving. And when when we look at that, when we think about that, we recognize that in light of that ending, in light of how the book, as it were, ends... makes it easier to endure the things that are here and now. And Peter writes to a people who are suffering, and perhaps they were dying for the faith. And he says, let me encourage you where this all ends. Here's where it's going. And if you know that's where it's going, it gives you hope here and now. And he says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to His eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those words are almost synonymous. And if you look in the different versions, you can kind of see the same words put in the same order. They're extremely similar. So how do we understand what all is going on there? What what, what those words mean? How, how is it that we are established and strengthened and restored and all of those sorts of things? Well, The example I think of, the the picture that comes to my mind is like setting a fence post. I was raised on a farm, and though the apple has fallen far from the tree, I still remember how to set a fence post. You have to dig the hole properly. It needs to be uh, wide enough at the top that you can get your implements around the fence post, even if you're using a railroad tie or something else as a fence post. You've got to be able to get your implements beyond it, so it's got to be a certain amount wider than than the diameter or, or size of your post. And it ought to be, the hole ought to be larger at the bottom than in the top because you're going to be working down in there and it's certainly got to be deep enough. But once you get that all set and you put the fence post in, you put just a little bit of dirt, like a ridiculously small amount of dirt you throw in there, and then you go to work. With the, my, my dad calls it a spud bar. I don't, I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's a tamper. It's a big long bar that's super heavy. And and it's got a square end, and you're just tamping, all around. You're just tamping, and and you kind of feel a little silly, because you're just and nothing's happening. And you'll tamp, tamp, tamp. You'll throw in a ridiculously small amount of dirt again, and you'll tamp, 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 and you just keep working. And gradually, after a long time, you're working your way up. And what is happening is that the base of that post, which is sitting in the bottom of that hole, is being ha- having all the dirt in in just just tiny amounts being solidified around it as you're tamping. And you're slowly building that up and you're, you're making almost no progress. But it's being made solid. And after you get a couple of inches of that dirt tamped solidly in that you can already grab the post and feel it's solid. And you continue working your way up, tamping and filling in slowly and, and gradually picking up speed. And by the time you get to the top, by the time the post is fully set, You've kept it straight. It's solid. And when you, if you were to hit it with a vehicle, it would snap off at the ground and not bend over because it's solid. It is set. And and what is it? We're we're the the fence post. How's it being set? Well, by sufferings, first of all, that's an aspect of it, but what's the outcome? He himself will. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He himself, by using sufferings very often, folks, establishes us solid like that fence post. And you could tie a horse to it, and the horse can fight against it all day long. It's not going anywhere. Your 16-year-old can back the pickup into it, and it's not going anywhere. You can build a fence off of it. It's solid, and it was established there by all of that tamping. Folks, the suffering that we go through is often like that kind of tamping. Establishing stability in our lives that comes from the things that we suffer because God is using them. And sometimes that stability and that, that strength and that establishing, we can observe it. Usually we can look at older saints and we see the things that they've suffered and we see the stability. We see the the solidness of that fence post. It is set. They are set, and they are straight and tall and will hold true even when things pull and push against them, even when things bump into them. They've been established. But sometimes, sometimes we don't, we don't get to the end of the suffering and get to see that result. What then? Sometimes our suffering doesn't end with a nice, solid, straight fence post put in exactly the proper place. Sometimes the suffering ends in our death. But then? Well, then you have the ultimate fulfillment of the restoration and the confirmation and the strengthening and the establishment. That in that context, if, if in this life the suffering doesn't cease and give way to a calm and peaceful sense that God has taken us through the storm, we will still Take comfort knowing that when we pass through the veil from this life to the next, we will be finally and fully restored to what we ought to be. Finally and fully confirmed in the truth of our faith and hope. Finally and fully and finally. Strengthened such that we will never fall again. Not in this life. But in glory And finally, and fully established, eternally, as rightful heirs of the glorious inheritance secured for us by the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's when it comes to full fruition. That's when it becomes entirely ours, and it, it will be we will be firm, we will be planted, we will be like that fence post, and immovable, but immovable, but eternally in glory. He says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, did, did Christ suffer? Of course Christ suffered. And His suffering was infinitely, infinitely worse than ours because not only was He innocent in suffering physically, being punished for things He had not done, perhaps we've been punished for things we've not done, yet we've been guilty of something else even while we were punished for that thing that we haven't done. But his punishing wasn't just physical. His punishment was was hell, as it were. The wrath of God poured out against sin, and not his, but born in his body. Him becoming the wrath of God, him becoming the the, the one who bears that wrath of God, that, that our sin being placed on him, he becomes identified with our sin. As it were in that moment, Jesus on the cross, being the worst sinner ever, because of the sins of all of us being placed upon him. He who was innocent, bearing that himself. And so did he suffer? Of course he suffered. But Christian, was that the end of his story? It didn't end with his suffering. God raised him from the dead. God received him back into glory to himself, and that's the pattern for the Christian. It's not only a pattern, but it contains a pattern. That for the Christian, we suffer, we we go through these hardships, but, but they are not pointless, and they are not without purpose, and they are not accidental. In some ways, those sufferings are like the tamping of that spud bar. In our lives, And even if that tamping is not done in this life, even if we don't find ourselves uh, standing uh, free of that kind of suffering and, and just showing the strength and, the, and the, the stability of having been planted firmly, even if we don't show that in this life because we just continue through the suffering, yet in the next life that will be what we will be. That will be our outcome. That's the end of the story, even if the story ends a different way in this life. How can that be? How can that be? How can God do such a thing? How can Peter guarantee? How can Peter promise such a thing for us? It's because of verse 11, because dominion is God's and always will be to Him be the dominion forever and ever. He has the right. He has the ability. He has the authority. He has the strength to accomplish His purposes. And Peter is telling us, folks, these are his purposes for us. He's in charge, and so we take comfort. How comfortable would you be with a smaller God? I take comfort knowing that God has all dominion, that all strength and wisdom and might and power and glory are his. So I'm comforted. His dominion means he has the authority and the power to raise you up in his time. It's not like he's planning, hey, I know when is the right time to raise you up. Remember, we're supposed to humble ourselves, wait for him to raise us. It's not as if he knows when that time is going to be. And the time comes, he says, ah, but something got in the way. I'm sorry. I just wasn't able to do it. No, his dominion means that he has the authority. He has the power to raise you up in his time. All power is God's, and so He has the shoulders to bear all the cares that you cast upon Him. They weigh you down and crush you. They weigh me down and crush me, and they are nothing to Him. He wants us to give them to Him. He has all dominion, and so He has the shoulders to bear our burdens. His dominion means that He has authority over our adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, and He can protect us from Him. Since His, the dominion is all His, He can help you to stand firm when you think there must be no way. And His dominion over all things forever means the final victory He gives us will be the last word in our story. His dominion means that the victory is sure because it is His. He tells us what it will be. His dominion, perhaps, is most clearly seen in the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake of in just a few moments. I said earlier the the suffering of Christ is an example for us, it's a pattern but it is not only that and it is not primarily that the suffering of Christ is an example of of God's dominion of God's great authority brought to bear because he is also good and loves you the God who is holy and righteous who's been offended by our sins would have been right and would have been just and would have been good to punish us for our sins and that be that He has the authority to do that. But because of the great love with which He loved us, He sent His Son. Jesus, born as one of us, and yet has always always lived obedient in His life, always obeyed the law, always obeyed His parents. Can you imagine obeying sinful parents when you're not a sinner? Of course you can't. (laughs) I can't either. (laughs) But Jesus did it. He obeyed. Obeyed perfectly. Obeyed God's commands. Kept kept all of God's laws, and did so in your place, in my place, Christian. And then he who had borne the full responsibility of obeying the law like that went to the cross, the place of punishment for sin. Yours and mine. And he suffered. And he suffered in a way that we can't imagine. He suffered to an extent that we can't imagine. He suffered in... in in areas that, that don't occur to us because we are sinners and we're used to sinning against people and we get mad when those people sin against us. And here Jesus, who never sinned against anyone, was sinned against perpetually. And yet he took your punishment and mine upon himself and suffered under God's hand. Suffered to the end bore the weight of the wrath of God for my sin such that in the end, Jesus would say, finally, it is finished. It's paid fully. And he was buried. God raised him on the third day, guaranteeing and establishing what the end of the story is going to be, which is glory in Christ for you and me, for all eternity where we will finally see what Christ is really like. We will finally see and understand better not through sinful eyes. We will see Him as He is and we will have a a better understanding of just how beautiful God is. So Christian, as we're dealing with pain and loss like most of us are right now, the Apostle Peter has help for us. He has guidance and if we will look at this passage and if we will examine the instructions that he gives and if we will keep in mind the the reasons he gave these instructions and what it is exactly that god does we will find encouragement we will find hope in the midst of a time of pain so resist the urge to raise yourself up by your own bootstraps let god lift you up in his time Stop holding on to the anxieties that you have. Give up those anxieties to God. The pain and the suffering that we experience, however great and long it may seem at this time, will be swallowed up in the great victory. That will ultimately be ours because of what our Lord Jesus has accomplished for us. And in that, we find peace. And in that, we find hope. So if I could have the men who are going to serve the supper come forward, please. We come now to the time in our service when we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is specifically a celebration for Christians. This is a celebration, a reminder of what it is Christ has done for us. When we look at the elements, when we look at the bread, and we look at the cup, we examine those things and in them we see Christ. We see that He gave His own body for us. We see that He shed His own blood for us. And so we who have put our faith in Him, we who have realized that I need His body broken for me. I need His blood spilled for me. He is my only hope. This is for us. And so if you don't know Christ, if you, if you don't rest in Him that way, if you haven't come to realize your own need for Him and trusted in Him, let these elements pass, and please come talk to me afterwards. I'd like to talk to you about it. And Christian, as we come to this time and we examine the elements and we examine ourselves, we, we find that we have lack, that we have sin. Not only have we not done the things we ought to do, but again and again, we've done the things we should not have done. Or perhaps we've said the things or only thought the things that we shouldn't have said or thought. We find ourselves guilty. That's not the end of the story. We celebrate the supper. We celebrate Jesus having given His body that we might be forgiven of those sins. We celebrate Jesus pouring out His own blood, establishing a new covenant where His righteousness is counted as mine where a new spirit is placed within me as a Christian. I have a a new heart. I've been made new by His work. And so, yes, when I examine myself in light of these elements, I find sin, and then I, I confess that sin. And what do I find when I confess my sin? He's forgiven me. And I get to be a child of God because of what Jesus has done, so... Christian, as we pass these elements around, that is what we are thinking about. First, we come to the bread. Gentlemen, if you take up the bread, please. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I receive from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And so as we pass the bread, spend time in quiet reflection, contemplating your own sin, confessing it to God, confessing your need for Jesus' forgiveness, which is purchased for you by his own death. Let's pray. Father, as we are about to partake of the bread, we pray that you would do a great work in our hearts, that we, though we find sin every time when we look in our hearts, yet we find hope and forgiveness and life and joy and peace with you in Christ. We are grateful for Jesus giving his own body for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next we come to the cup. If you would take up the cup, please. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. When we pass the cup and it's going around, take some time and quiet reflection and contemplate the joyful truth that by, by faith in Christ, forgiveness and peace with God, life are yours because of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this cup, we rejoice in Jesus who has paid the penalty for our sins in his body and has lived a life of obedience. That by faith in him, we have that record of righteousness as ours. By faith in Christ, we see that we have received a new heart. We've received a new standing with you that we get to be called your children because of what Jesus has done. So even as we partake of this cup, we celebrate Jesus, our Savior, who has established for us a new covenant in his own blood. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christian, if you, no Christian if, Christian your sins are forgiven. Praise God. I'm gonna pray for us in a moment. I want to remind you that uh, today is thank you. Today is the uh, day of the month where we take our benevolence offering and we use that money to help out uh, primarily folks in the congregation who might have financial need. It gets used in some other ways as well but that's uh, today if you want to do that and I'm going to, um, we're going to have a family up front to pray with you, uh, if you have needs to pray for, and who doesn't, but please uh, take advantage of uh, those folks as they are up here uh, to pray with you, and I want to make myself available as well. I'll be up front as well. If you have questions, uh, either about the sermon or, uh, or anything else you want to talk to me about, I'll, I'll make myself available uh, up here in the front as well, uh, but as we go, I want to encourage you that God is good. And it is good for us to be in Christ. We have such benefits. What a blessing it is to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked at this passage in light of our own suffering, we recognize that we have things in here we ought to pay attention to, things that we ought to do, things we ought to avoid, actions we ought to take, and all motivated by who You are and what You have done for us and what is ours in Christ, the hope that we have, gives us help in this life. So we pray that you would bless all of these folks. Some are watching online, some will listen later. We pray for your blessing, we pray for your help. We pray that you would work in our own hearts, that you would work in our midst, and that you would receive the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all and you're dismissed.